0: Welcome to the podcast series, Withers Talks Art. I'm Diana Werbicki, the global head of the Withers Art Law Group, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast series. In these podcasts, I have the pleasure of asking art related questions to my Withers colleagues from around the globe. With me today is George Letterman, a white collar defense lawyer based in our New York office who focuses on issues involving art crime. Today, George and I will be discussing cases and investigations related to the art world. Before we begin our conversation, I'd like to remind you that anything discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and we're not providing any legal advice. George, thank you for joining me today.
1: Happy to be here.
0: George, you are a recent member to the Withers art team. We're very excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to focus on art crime?
1: I was a prosecutor here in New York for 10 years at the district attorney's office in Manhattan. I served in the trial division, in the frauds division, and in the drug division. At the time, there was no art division, but what happened is that when I left the office, my former boss in the frauds division began a series of sales tax prosecutions in the art world. And having worked in that office, I was engaged by a number of individuals in the art world to defend them in that case, I must say successfully. And that's how I began a, a niche practice in the art world.
0: Such an interesting area. And as you mentioned that first, this came out of the fraud division, What have you seen in the evolution of art crime?
1: Over the years, we have seen a growing criminalization of what previously had been civil disputes in the art world. Now there's actually a unit in the district attorney's office which focuses on antiquities crime and also other art related offenses. That has been the change.
0: What do you think is driving that change?
1: The art market is an opaque one. And whenever there is a large influx of money into an opaque market, it catches the eye of law enforcement.
0: When we talk about liability, you talked about criminalization. Are we talking about civil actions that you're seeing? Or are we talking about criminal exposure?
1: We're speaking about both because in the past, the government would commence a civil action to forfeit a work of art. That was the norm. But what has now occurred is that individuals who own the art or possess the art, surprisingly, may face individual criminal prosecution if they are the type of individual who might have been in the business of buying or selling the art, and didn't do a reasonable inquiry as to whether or not the individual from whom they bought the art had good title to pass.
0: I think most collectors, when they're thinking about buying, would want to know, what is a reasonable inquiry? What do I have to do to protect myself from this type of exposure?
1: Let's first say that these new laws only apply to those who are in the business of buying and selling works. But that could mean a whole host and a whole range of individuals, not necessarily those who only deal in art. You could be someone who's prominent and buys and sells work for your home or your office. So that's the first thing. The reasonable query is more difficult, because the government is applying an idealized standard of what is reasonable. Who gets to decide what that might be? Those things are unclear.
0: Not to have a bright line rule, black and white, or a checklist of what you have to do is worrisome for collectors. Is there a certain category of art that if a collector is purchasing, they need to be a little bit more weary about when it comes to this reasonable due diligence?
1: Of course. Certainly, if one is in the business or buys antiquities, there should be a heightened concern. And that is because source nations are becoming much more assertive in bringing claims. And when they do, the government is acting as their lawyer. And doing so, the government will try to apply this heightened standard of individual criminal exposure in order to engineer a voluntary release and forfeiture of the antiquity.
0: Can you give us a recent example that some of us may have heard about in the press relating to this type of issue?
1: A couple of years ago, there was the case of the Marble Bull's Head from Lebanon, which was on exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum here in New York. The Metropolitan Museum looked into it and said that this work may have been stolen from Lebanon in the 1970s during the Civil War. The owners had no idea, but because they were deemed to be individuals who were involved in the buying and selling of antiquities, this heightened standard applied to them, and they were facing individual criminal exposure and ultimately settled and released the work which was repatriated to Lebanon.
0: By the time this got into the press, is this something that there had already been a claim that had been put forth?
1: There was a claim that had been put forth, and only afterwards did it make it into the press.
0: I think that's what most of us would expect to happen and feel as a known risk, that once there's a legal claim, there is public information and there is potential for it to be picked up in the press. However, what we're seeing is that's not always the order that this is happening. More recently, we had heard about a raid of a collector's home. That was particularly troubling to people because of how that got into the press. With this type of collecting, there's the legal concern, and I think we have some very severe legal concerns here on the side of both civil and anytime you talk about criminal, that's a meaningful concern, but there's also a public relation concern to this. Am I correct on that? Of
1: course. In the case you're speaking about, where the search warrants were executed at this individual's home, works were seized... And that then served as a gateway in order to get a telescopic view into this individual's entire life of buying and selling art. And that made its way into the press even before there was any further claim made
0: have you found in the scope of your career that more of these things are getting out in the press than they have been before? Or has this been consistent, that it's the risk people run when they're collecting this type of property?
1: It's happening more and more. And that is because the use of this tool I mentioned before, together with the adverse press, is being used, again, to engineer a voluntary release of the work. It's, in certain ways, a strong-arm tool of law enforcement.
0: When we talk about law enforcement, are we talking about the federal, are we talking about the state, or both?
1: We're speaking about both. They operate under different laws. Usually, the federal government will look to forfeit a work, but it doesn't have the tools, oftentimes, to bring an individual prosecution against the owner of the work. So they oftentimes are complementary in the law enforcement effect.
0: I think most of us have heard quite a lot about New York's efforts in this regard. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with New York legal enforcement?
1: The district attorney's office has started an antiquities trafficking unit where it now has a number of prosecutors, analysts and also agents from Homeland Security who do nothing other than focus on antiquities and claims by source nations.
0: With that type of focus, and given that earlier on you mentioned that the reasonable due diligence standard, it's a bit vague, there's not a checklist that we can put in place. What would be your takeaways for collectors who still are interested in buying antiquities?
1: Look at the source From which you're buying the work. There are certain red flags. A skilled attorney will know which nations are becoming more aggressive in their claims and which sources themselves have issues and red flags to avoid.
0: You have seen this evolution of more art crime and more of it being brought into the breast. I'm sure that'll give us many more things to talk about in the future. George, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a delight talking to you about this art law topic. To all of our listeners out there, thanks for listening. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out.